I'm going to ask you to stand this morning after the kids get out. If we'll stand, I wanted to lead us in prayer this morning and ask that you would stand with me. Um, I want us as a church family uh, to pray for Dan Townsend, who's in the hospital in Houston. And uh, Dan has uh, rapidly progressive uh, fibrosis in his, in his lungs. And um, very serious. Um, I had opportunity yesterday to visit with Dan. I want to tell this one story before I pray that um, Dan told me about the day he was saved. And Dan, some of you will know, is from Central and um, was raised out at Pollock Baptist Church. And um, uh, he tells me growing up, there, it wasn't an option whether you were going to church. You were going to church. That was Sunday morning. That was Sunday night for training union. That was Wednesday night for prayer meeting. It was all of that. Uh, but Dan actually told me, he said it wasn't until he was 12. And actually it was Brother Ben Morrison who uh, before, uh, before this time had been pastor at Huntington First Baptist Church in the 1930s. Uh, but he said Brother Ben Morrison talked to the kids at Vacation Bible School that summer, somewhere in the mid-50s. And uh, he presented the gospel. And Dan told me, he said, something came over me that day as he talked. And when he asked if there were any kids who were willing to give their life to Jesus, Dan said, I popped up. And he said, I've never had to question. He said, but that was the day that I gave my life to Christ. And such a real experience and um, reassuring and uh, they actually, he said that they didn't have a baptistry at Pollock at the time, and they went down to what is now Grace Baptist Church, which was uh, uh, Clawson Baptist Church at the time, and he was baptized, I guess, that night. Uh, but um, it always blesses my heart, and the sermon this morning, I want to talk about my story and your story. And uh, But this morning, I wanted us to pause and Actually, when I get through praying, if you'll just remain standing, I have one other thing I want us to do is we stand. Uh, but let me lead us in prayer. Father, today, um, we thank you for the way that Jesus uh, comes to us and makes himself known to us and offers us his salvation. And Father, I thank you for Dan Townsend's testimony. And um, I thank you for uh, the peace and the comfort that it gives in, in dark days. And uh, Father, we pray uh, that as you've been faithful to Dan and to his family all these years, that you will continue in the days ahead. And so we ask that your hand would be upon them and you would work and you would do what only you can do in the midst of the circumstances in which they find themselves. And Father, today we pray as we look to your scripture and we talk about uh, each of our stories, um, that Father, you would speak to each our, of our hearts to know that we have a story. And then Father, if we have a story, that we would be bold in sharing that story. And so Father, we trust this 
all to you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to remain standing. Um, hey, Nathan, can we put up on the screen uh, our direction statement? There we go. I want us to say this together as a church, because this is our directional statement in the days ahead to, to help us um, uh, to go into the future as a church. And so if you would say this with me, we exist to connect the disconnected to Christ, his church, and his cause. Oh, you knew I was going to do this. Why don't we say it again? We exist to connect the connected to Christ, his church, and his cause. And really in church, if you've ever done it twice, you've got to do it a third time. So let's do it one more time. We exist to connect the disconnected to Christ, his church, and his cause. Y'all did wonderful. You may sit down. That was your time to talk in church. Now it's my time. Uh, that is our directional statement for the years to come. The, the big God-sized goal is that every person in Huntington would have a relational connection with the gospel. I believe that's what we need to set before us for the next three to five years, that every person in Huntington, Texas, and obviously it's something that's going to go beyond Huntington, but everyone in Huntington, Texas would have a relational connection to the gospel. When I say relational connection, I mean that there is someone in their life who is living out a relationship with Jesus Christ that they can see. And that person is also speaking the gospel relationally into their lives. That every person in Huntington would have someone who is living out the gospel and speaking the gospel to them so that they might have the opportunity as Dan Townsend had in the 50s, as I had in the 1970s, whatever your story is, an opportunity to hear the gospel by somebody they see and know is living out the gospel and have an opportunity to respond to that. I shared last Sunday that uh, we must, the gospel must be relationally spoken. It is not enough to live it. We must speak it. And we must ask God to open up the door. And those people that we are relationally connected to, to speak the gospel into their lives. The gospel must be spoken. And this morning I want to share with you, and I want to look at a scripture in just a moment, that the most effective relational connection to the gospel is your story. That's the truth today. The most effective relational connection to the gospel is your story. I want us to look at uh, something just, just briefly this morning from Paul's life in Acts chapter 22. We're actually going to start with some verses in chapter 21, but the mass of it. In Acts chapter 22, in the midst of 
a tense, antagonistic setting when, when Paul had to present the gospel to some people that were very angry at him, what he did is he, he spoke his story. He told his story. And I want us to use that as uh, a framework to talk about very specifically this morning, your story. And that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility to share your story with the people that you encounter. And if you are anxious, as all of us are, when that door of opportunity opens for you to connect the gospel to someone and you go, what am I supposed to say? I'm going to tell you the one thing that is the most effective way of getting to someone's heart and connecting the gospel to them is to simply tell your story of how you came to faith in Christ. That's very simple, isn't it? When you go, wait a second, I don't know, I don't no, it's your story. Tell your story. And I think you ought to get this down to a minute or two. I don't know how long we can read Paul's uh, story that he tells here in, in Acts chapter 22. It's not very long, just a couple minutes. And that you would break your story down, as Paul does, into before you met Christ, how you met Christ, and then afterwards, what happened to your life with Christ. Break it down. You ought to practice this. You ought to know this. So that when that door of opportunity comes, you already have practiced this uh, with family or whoever it is, uh, someone you're close to, and go, no, when the door opens, the preacher told me the most effective relational connection to the gospel is my story and so I'm going to tell my story and then we're going to use that as a bridge to go into God's story before I met Christ how I met Christ and my life after Christ I've kind of already modeled that in Dan Townsend's life let me model it in my own life I was raised in a Christian home and really thought and I was raised in church like Dan Townsend was in church um, and thought because I was a good person, I would go to heaven when I died. And when I was 10 years of age, in the summer of 1972 at Vacation Bible School, when Dr. Landrum Level stood with us fourth grade kids and shared the gospel from the Bible of what it meant to be a sinner and Jesus died on the cross and that we must make a personal commitment to Christ, that day God opened up my eyes. And for the first time in my life I ever remember, seeing the truth of the gospel and that I was lost and I needed a savior just as these three kids don't you love those testimonies wow I love that it's one of the great joys I have as a pastor of getting to uh, kind of be the gatekeeper into church <laughs> it's like so tell me your story uh, but that night in 1972 I prayed and I invited Christ to come in my life and his life came into me. It was like a light bulb came on on the inside. And uh, by and large, I've lived for him. After that, God called me to ministry, and uh, that's been a bunch of years ago. But as God has given me strength, I've, I've served him all these years. And so uh, I use that story many times as a bridge to talk to people about what their story is. This morning we come to Paul, 
who does the same thing. He models this for us. But I, I really have to set this up for you so that you could understand. And we're going to start reading in uh, Acts 21, verse 37. But uh, Paul has completed his three missionary journeys. And God called him to go to the Gentiles. In fact, that's a very significant concept today. He, God took Paul, who was raised in Jerusalem as a good Jew, and he sent him out with the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, those that lived apart from Palestine. Um, but he comes back to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, a great feast, many people there. And uh, he is accused falsely of bringing a Gentile into the temple area. They saw him walking around with a man from Ephesus, where he'd come from, and they thought that he had come inside the, from beyond the court of the Gentiles into the court of the Jews, which was as bad as you can get. In fact, there was a sign. Brother Barry, there's a, there's a wall. There was a wall. There's not, is not a wall. There was a wall. Four and a half feet tall. And it, it, it blocked off the court of the Jews from the court of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were not allowed to go in. In fact, in fact there were signs that said, if you cross, cross this point as a Gentile, know that you've done it at the risk of your own death. And some people falsely accused Paul, who had gone out to the Gentiles and had that reputation, that he had come with that man from Ephesus, and they'd gone into the court of the Jews. And a mob scene is created, and they, they're putting the beat down on him. And the Roman, the Roman soldiers who were in the uh, fortress of Antonio on the northwest corner of the temple in, uh, compound saw this going on, and they go. They were there to keep the peace and notice it says in verse 37 of Acts 21, uh, Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, which was the fortress of Antonio, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied, Can you speak Greek? Now, this is significant. Greek is the language of culture, education, and commerce. It was the international language. And the Roman soldier would have been surprised that Paul, this peasant Jew who's being beat down in the temple compound, can speak Greek. He said, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins into the wilderness? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no, I always get tickled by this, mean city. Mine has a no to mean city. It's not like, oh, there are people that are mean there. No, mean means average, insignificant. He goes, I'm from an important city. I'm not from some average city. I am from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them, notice this, in the Hebrew language saying. So Paul knew Greek, and it says the Hebrew language, this is uh, the variation of the Hebrew language, which would have technically been Aramaic at the time. But that's what the Jews spoke. And when he, when he spoke to the Roman soldier, he speaks in Greek. But when he's going to speak to the crowd, he does not speak in Greek. It's the language of the Gentiles. He speaks to them in Aramaic, the Hebrew 
dialects. And that got their attention. And notice what he says. Uh, and, and my point with the Hebrew language, he spoke in terms that connected with them. And I want you to put that little mental note there. When God gives you an opportunity to speak, find a connection with people. And it, it was as simple at that point of I'm going to speak the language that they speak. I'm not going to speak the universal language so everybody can hear because I'm going to speak our heart language this is what our mama spoke to us when we were little. This is, the, this is the Hebrew dialect. And notice what he says in verse 1. He says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, which was an esteemed rabbi back in the day, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness in all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. In the first five verses, Paul covers his time before he, in, he encountered Christ, before he commits his life to Christ. And there's a couple significant things that we draw from his statement, one of those being that he made uh, a relational connection with them by speaking in the Hebrew language. The other thing he does, he says, he says I am a Jew. I'm just like you people. The other thing is, I have, there was a time in my life I was as zealous to defend the things that you are defending today as you are today. What was Paul doing? He was making a connection with the people. This is what he was saying. I have been where you are. Could I suggest to you, when you begin to talk to somebody that you have a relational connection with, and God opens up the door for you to speak the gospel uh, to their life, find not only the language, but the connecting point. And let me tell you what the connecting point will be, is I have lived apart from God also. I'm not saying you use those words. <laughs> But what you're going to say is, my story is also, there was a time in my life that I was living contrary to what God wanted for my life. You understand what I'm saying? You find some kind of connection from what you know, what you've heard, what they've said. The other thing that's, <laughs> I think it's so significant here, and I think it's such a great teaching point, is when Paul stands up, he says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And you know what we're really prepared for? That's, that's the, the word for defense. That means if you went to a courtroom and you were charged with a crime, here is your case that you're going to set forth to prove that you're innocent. What has Paul been brought before the people for? You have been accused of bringing a Gentile into the court of the Jews. And we're going to put the beat down on you, if not kill you. And so you think when Paul is brought, he's going to go, Hey, listen, this is all a misunderstanding. 
Trophimus of Ephesus, he's, no, you can ask him. I didn't bring him in. You people are, y'all got all worked up. This is a mob scene. Somebody needs to get in control here. Listen, this isn't true. This isn't right. You don't hear that. When Paul is given an opportunity to speak, he does not present his case. He presents the case of Christ. And you know what I realize? Sometimes you're going to be in conversations with people that ask a controversial question or something. There is going to be some dig at Christianity. There's going to be something that questions the Bible. There is going to be something negative that even opens up the door. And what I would suggest to you, instead of answering that controversial question, begin to talk about your story. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you get bogged down <laughs> in answering controversial questions, well, I, one time I heard, well, let me tell you, there was a time in my life <laughs> that I was raised in church. And, but, and I thought because I was a good person, I would get to go to heaven when I died. And you see, what I, what I learned from Paul is when we are given opportunity to speak, it is not about making our case. It's about making Christ's case. And he starts and he tells them, I've been where you are. I've been just as else. And then he gives details of his of his encounter the day that he met Christ. He says in verse 6, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said to me, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to, this is significant, all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And Nathan, if we can just leave that verse up there, because that's where we're headed. You, you've probably heard this story before. This was Paul's story. I want you to get the sense, <laughs> this dude is being beaten He's being arrested. This is a highly charged uh, environment. And uh, he may not know what to say in that moment. But I would say to us in circumstances where I cannot imagine us being in similar circumstances. But anyhow, that we're that stressful uh, at the risk of our life. You tell your story of what you know. <laughs> Do you think Paul had to search for words? to recount that day? Oh no, 
No, I live that day. I know that day. I can still in my brain picture that summer night, 1972, I could take you to First Baptist Church, Wichita Falls, and I could say it was that pew right there. And Steve Swanner was sitting right next to me. I remember it. And that was 48 years ago. No, I still remember it. You don't have to remind me of that story. I know that story. When Paul was pressured and he had to describe the gospel, he went to his story that he could tell. And he gave the details of that. And and really the punchline is that when he came to the end of his encounter with Jesus Christ, which you get it, this was not just, this was not Paul turning over a new leaf, coming to a new theological perspective. This was Paul who had a personal encounter with the risen Lord whom he thought was dead. And the people that he was arresting said that he was alive. But Paul didn't believe it. And Paul was imprisoning them and having them put to death for believing in a Jesus that was raised from the dead. Oh, until the day of Damascus, on the road to Damascus, no, Jesus shows up. Now, let me just tell you, some people are more hard-headed than others. Paul needed Jesus just to show up in all his glory. Boy, you've been saying some bad things about me. You didn't think I was alive? What do you think now? Now, that was Daryl Smith. That Jesus wouldn't talk like that. Uh, this was, this is what I would say it was a relational encounter. This is what I would say in my own story that night at vacation Bible school. God opened up my eyes to see the truth for the first time in my life. It was a relational encounter, connection with God himself through Jesus Christ. When you tell your story, if you've come to faith in Christ, put it in terms of a relational encounter or connection with God. This is not something someday I woke up and decided, oh, instead of doing this, I'm going to live as a Christian. And I kind of, kind of went in that direction of my life. No, that's not it at all. For Paul, it was a relational encounter with Christ. It was not about religion, rituals, or rules. It was about a relationship with the risen Lord. And the commitment of his life, what I, which I believe is captured in verse 16, and it's all there. We don't, we don't have time to break it down this, this morning. But it was a commitment that included repentance because he talks about his sin. And he talks about being baptized, which be, is being buried, burying our old life. It was about faith that I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ that he had died for my sins. And in that moment, there was commitment of life in which I called on the name of the Lord to say I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I need Jesus to come in to take over and to become my Savior and my Lord. It's that commitment that is captured in verse 16. And that needs to be described as you tell your one to two minute story of how you came to faith in Christ. Well, what I'm going to teach you this morning, we just got a few minutes left, is you take that story as far as you can take it. 
And what Paul begins to do after this, and I want to read this, he talks about his life after Christ. And he begins to project out of what, what God was doing in his life after he got saved. And so in verse 17 it says, Then it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance, and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, you know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Verse 21. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you as far from here to the Gentiles. That was the punchline. Uh, and Well, let me just read verse 22 because this is where it all begins to fall apart. And they listened to him until this word. What word? Gentile. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. The contention of that day was that Paul had gone out to the, to the Gentiles and he said that they could become a part of the family of God without becoming Jews. And so he was, a, he was like a lightning rod in his day. He attracted controversy and, and contentions. And he finally came back to Jerusalem. In fact, he knew when he came back to Jerusalem, you see it in what he says to the, Jerusalem, the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. You see it through the prophets on his journey back that troubles and chains await me when I get to Jerusalem. He knew it was coming. He showed up. They found him. They accused him. They were beating him down. And it was all because of the controversy related to how Paul related to the Gentiles. So Paul told before he met Christ, how he met Christ, and he was telling about his life after that, which in which he was getting to was God sent me out to the Gentiles. Let me just tell you, the conversation was over at that point. And what I would say to you, you think, well, this is not a very positive uh, illustration, Brother Darrell, because nobody got saved that day when Paul told his story. Here's the point. It's about us, fa us being faithful, share our story when God opens the door and to leave the results to God. And I would say to you, you take that conversation as far as you can take it until the door closes. Now, if your door stays open to this point, what I would teach you to do is that when the door is opened, you share your story. And then you apply your story to the person you are talking to by drawing out the common elements to all of our stories. Once we've told our story, we begin to talk to people about how does this become your story and help them understand God's big story. Because the crazy thing is you can hear Dan Townsend's story. You can hear my story. You can hear these three precious kids' stories today. You can hear Paul's story. Your story's going to be different. But there are common elements to all of it that all of us before we met Christ we're living apart from Christ. We were doing our own thing. That, that looks different for different ones of us. And that I had an encounter with Jesus Christ, which exposed my sin 
and realized that Jesus was the only remedy for that sin problem in my life by his death on the cross. And that I had to commit my life to Christ by repenting of my sin, believing in Jesus, and calling out on Jesus to save me and come into my life. And even after that, our stories look different of how that life has been lived out. But what we do is we draw out the common elements that first we were walking our own way, we are confronted by the truth of Jesus, and we are called to commit to Him as Savior and Lord of our life. The most effective relational connection to the gospel is your story. And tell your story in such a way that it leads you to tell God's story that we have all sinned, but there is a Savior who loves us, who died for us, and if only we would turn away from our sins and we believe in Him, that we can have life today and for all of eternity. I want to encourage you that you practice your story. Last Sunday we talked about Peter and... Uh, that the gospel must be relationally spoken. And, and Peter talks about his experience with Jesus in Acts chapter 2. Uh, and I didn't have time to develop this truth to today. But Peter tells his story and leads them into God's big story. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. When you leave here, maybe you've already got it in your brain. It's your story. What are the statements before I met Christ? What are the details of how I met Christ? And what has my life been like after that? What is my story? And get it down to one to two to three minutes. And have it down so that when God opens that door and you go, uh, 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 what am I supposed to say here? You know your story. You go into your story. And then you draw out the elements from your story to present the gospel to the person uh, that you're speaking to. You take that conversation as long and as far as you can. And uh, had this discussion with parents lately. Uh, what about that prayer? I, well, let me just say this. If you want to practice, practice on your, your kids, your family. Work on your story. Tell your story to them. I would say this to parents. What a great way to present the gospel to your kids by telling your kids when they come of age your story. Begin to speak your story to your kids. Kids don't know. you just like always been mom and dad. No, I've got a life before you were born, you little... Anyhow, anyhow. <laughs> Listen. And they don't know what your story is unless you sit down and you talk to them. What an incredible way. And Diego, you get to that time, you got to pray that prayer. Um, what is the prayer? There's really not a magic prayer. I'm sorry, I'm picking on Diego. But like I said, he's an easy target. Uh, the prayer is acknowledging sin. 
that I believe in Jesus and I want him to take away my sins and that I commit my life to him. And the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It needs to be verbalized. I think with your kids, either they need to pray it out loud or you need to lead them in prayer. They need to pray it. You need to hear it. I know God can hear us in our heart. You need to pray it out loud. There's, there's only those components. You don't even have to memorize a prayer. You just know you go back. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for me. I commit my life to him and ask him to take away my sins and come in my life. In the name of Jesus, amen. And you know, that's what I did when I was 10 years of age. And I've shared this many times. The amazing thing is God came into my life that day through the simple prayer of a child who, I know it's, my parents are pretty amazed. I didn't realize I was a sinner until I was 10 because most people in my life had already figured that out, that I was a sinner by then. But realizing that I was a sinner and needed a Savior. And I asked him to come in. And it changed my life. And um, one last thing. You are responsible for sharing your story. If God has saved you, that is not something you are to keep to yourself when God opens the door tell your story that's why at Huntington First Baptist Church we almost always start off these testimonies my name is Hayes Stover and this is my story and there'll be more to the story Um, but this is my story to date amen practice it look for God to give you opportunities today and this week to tell your story.